You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Michaela Putala. Michaela is a dietitian and body image coach who is dedicated to helping her clients stop the diet binge cycle and make peace with food and their body. She's lovingly known as the Food Peace Nutritionist on Instagram and is an overall incredible human being. In this episode, we talk about the diet binge cycle, why it occurs, and how you can break free from this cycle yourself. We also talk about the abundance mindset with food and what that looks like. I know you will love this episode of the show. Enjoy. Hey, Michaela, how are you today? I am well. How are you? I'm doing so good. How has your summer been so far? Oh, it has been so nice. I feel like this has been the summer of relaxation and just getting back into, you know, what life looks like after after COVID. So it's been mm-hmm. a nice summer. Mm-hmm. I love that. What has been something relaxing you've been doing this summer? Uh, reading. So reading and sitting on the beach. Oh, I'm so jealous of both of those activities. I've been reading more too because I've been solo traveling. So I bring my Kindle around like it's a human and just like pick it up whenever I need time to like be out away from my phone or just relax. But beach time, that's super cool. Do you live near a beach? I do. I actually live in San Diego in Pacific Beach for anyone here who is familiar with the San Diego area. So a 15 minute walk to the beach and I'll go just sit down in a chair and take out my Kindle. Oh, that sounds fabulous. I love that. I actually went to Pacific Beach around this time last year and really enjoyed it. So I know exactly where you are. So nice. So nice. Very exciting. Well, to dive in today, I know you and I are going to be talking about binge eating and everything related to that, the diet binge cycle. And before we go into that topic, I'd love for you to share a bit about your recovery story. Ooh, (laughs) what a tangled web. Um, (laughs) And so my story... It started when I was around 12. I was a dancer growing up. So ever since I was three, I danced, I did, you know, all the things. And so around 12, that's when puberty hits. I remember that's when my body came into discussion and, you know, not getting roles, not, you know, being told I would be better if I was smaller. And so that came with a lot of restriction. And along with that, I just kept restricting. And so that was my... the door opened to, you know, my eating disorder. And, you know, what really was hard is the fact that I wasn't underweight. So it was really hard to get help 
through that. And, you know, whenever you're not underweight, people don't think you have a problem when there really was a problem. So I went through that from middle school. So that was like around 12 to high school. I stopped. So ballet was the reason why I was restricting so much. I stopped doing ballet because I had to, it was causing more harm than good. And it was interesting because I wasn't allowed to really get help because I was atypical. Mm. I wasn't sick enough. And back then it was very like, oh, your BMI is not, not suitable. You're fine. Keep living your life. And I think that's where the first problem that got me to be a dietitian kind of sprouted its seed. It planted its seed there. And then I swung to binging in high school. And again, binging was not talked about when I was in high school. And I was like, why the heck am I eating all this food now? I went from, like, I used to be in control. I had willpower. I had all these things. And then I was swinging into a different side. And I remember it was the weekend, weekday binge cycle. And in high school when, you know everyone's high school experience is probably different, but in my high school, that's kind of how it went. And so again, it's like, I didn't think I needed help. I thought I was fine. And then at home, my mom was very health obsessed, reading labels, things like that. And I saw that and I thought, oh, I just have a problem myself with not being disciplined enough. I always thought it was a, it was a me issue because everyone else could do it. My mom could do it. So, you know, just that story continued and it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I was like, I have a problem. I, and I need to go get help. But everyone around me was telling me I didn't have a problem. And that's what really hurt is that you're so young and no matter what age you are, really, it's like, if you are being told you don't have a problem by doctors, by your loved ones, you really start to believe the problem is you. Mm-hmm. And you have to solve it yourself. You don't deserve to go get help. And so I kind of just did my own research. I used all my graduation money on a dietitian and a therapist because I kept it. Yeah, I kept it private. Oh, goodness. Um, I was so embarrassed. There's so much embarrassment there, too, which I feel like is a common theme I see now, too. And, you know, I got the help I needed. And that's kind of what brought me where I am today is I had to do a lot of it alone. But then I also got help. And it really changed my life. So that's kind of my story. It's a little tangled. There's a lot of different things that happened, but ultimately I got help and I got out of it. And here I am today helping others. Wow. That's such a story of self-trust, honestly, because I don't know if I was in high school and people were telling me, you know, I didn't have a problem, but I was suffering and I knew deep down something was wrong. I don't know who I would have trusted myself the people around me, family members. So how did you get the courage to just do all of this on your own? Oh, that is a great question. I am a people pleaser to a fault. And I reached a breaking point. I think, you know, I was binging quite heavily, like every weekend in high school, no one around me was binging that I saw. And I was like, it got to a point where I just to myself was like, this isn't normal. Like I saw my sisters, my sisters have pretty healthy relationships with food and just watching them. I realized I was like, this, this is not normal. Like this, just something in my gut was like, you're, this isn't normal. Yeah. Good. And so Google, when I got my laptop, for graduation. <laughs> it's like I used everything that being a senior in high school and going to college, you know, gives you that tuition money along with 
a laptop you can use to Google things yourself. And I was able to find eating disorder dietitian and therapist. Wow, that's so amazing. So we're going to be talking about, you know, the binge cycle in a little bit. I'm curious, what was it like for you going through that? Like, how did you feel during a binge? Great question. Out of control. I mean, it's like a seal breaking. It's like once you break the seal, you just can't stop. That is the best way I can explain a binge. You know, you're not thinking. You really aren't. That's the most severe binges, I think, is whenever you literally are not thinking. Now, I will say there are spectrums where I was thinking. I was aware of it. And there were times where I wasn't. Just it depended on how severe my restriction was that week, that month. Mm -hmm. It just depended. And that's where... Hence the restrict binge cycle. That's really what drives a binge is restriction, whether that be mental or physical. So a binge, it can look different for everyone, but you're alone. Typically you eat a lot of food in one sitting. I don't want to put a number on it, but I will say, I think that as a society, we don't understand the difference of overeating and binging. Mm. I feel like the mm-hmm. line is very blurry there. Overeating. I like to think of as Thanksgiving full, like, you know, at Thanksgiving, you eat a lot, you're uncomfortable, but you don't feel like because you ate until you were uncomfortable, you have to eat more or there's no more idea in your head of, oh, I have to start over tomorrow. So I may as well get this in now or overeating really is just eating a little bit. I don't want to say a little bit because sometimes it is more than you feel comfortable with. And if it's unhealthy overeating that happens consistently, that's due to restriction. I have a clarifying question that I think might help a little. So would you say overeating could be eating that you've given yourself permission to engage in where binging, there is this feeling of out of controlness that takes place where you're breaking your own disordered rules and like just feeling a sense of chaos Where, you know, like I feel like Thanksgiving full, there's almost like you're just happily eating more than usual with your internal consent in mind. Like, you know? Yes, the permission is there. Okay. Yeah. Whereas binging is an almost extreme level of permission. And typically, again, when you overeat, when you're with other people, and, you know, that also differs a binge from overeating when you're with other people, you know, there's not as much secretive, you know, just wanting to be alone, inhale everything in sight. Again, like I want you to think about a day's worth of food in one sitting. Like that's a binge overeating is more so again in public. It feels a little bit more like you are in control and there's more permission Okay. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Because I used to experience binging as well. And binging really felt like constantly violating my own ED rules, not having permission going against myself. There was this constant internal battle. Sometimes I was fully aware that I was in that state. And sometimes I was totally like almost blacking out in front of the fridge or the cabinet. Yes. Ooh, and not to mention steal. God, not stealing food, but eating other people's food. Oh yeah, that was a big one. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. I was like, ooh, I did that. Ooh, 
Yeah. So, so, but it's an out of control experience. And I feel like there is a lot of gray in there. I feel like it's hard to really define because there are moments where I did binge in front of people at a party. And so I find it hard to really categorize it because everyone is so different. Mm-hmm. And what matters is your experience. And if you feel like something's wrong and this isn't normal, that's your gut telling you something is wrong and you need, you mm-hmm. need help. Mm-hmm. You had a really good post on your Instagram recently that was talking about, it's like, did you binge or did you just go beyond your perceived limit of what you're allowed to eat that day? Yes. Ooh, yes. Tell me a little bit about that, because I think that I have so many listeners here that are mostly very restrictive, not necessarily binge eaters. And they will come to me being like, what's a binge? I'm not sure. You know, it sounds like it's not always a binge when you eat, quote, above those internal limits your ED set for you. Yes. Oof. And that's where the line gets blurry, right? Because there's that gray of overeating. There's that place of overeating where our society has demonized overeating. But overeating is actually a very normal thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have preconceived amounts in our head that we were given either by a label, by a parent, by someone telling us this is the amount of food you need to eat. And anything over that, you're wrong, you're bad, you've gone over. And that story or that amount gets stuck in our head. And so whenever we do go to eat and we do eat past that limit, it brings on the feelings of guilt, shame. I overate, even though you may not physically feel like you overate Mm. mentally, that rule was there. That was my limit. I went past it. And then you start to think, did I binge? Is that a binge? Or (laughs) what is that? It's not a binge. You just ate past the amount that you thought you should eat based on someone else's rules Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because your body is different from those rules. Mm -hmm. So helpful, right? Your body's going to have totally different needs compared to wherever you're hearing (laughs) those messages from usually, especially if you're in recovery. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting how the blur of binge eating versus overeating just came up for us, right? As two professionals in the field, like this conversation is so nuanced and unclear at times. Yeah. Oh, and I feel like eating disorder recovery is so nuanced and unclear because it's hard for us as professionals to sit here and say, oh, this is this, this is that. Here are the lines, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not black and white and that's why. Yeah, so true. Like the diet mentality, like our rules, we come from that black and white world. (laughs) Very interesting. So could you please explain more about the diet binge cycle and why that might be occurring for others who are listening? Hey friends, I have a major announcement. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I am the founder of The Recovery Collective, which is the original online eating disorder recovery community for folks all over the world. Well, on September 20th, we will be opening membership doors again for the last time this year, welcoming an entire new group of beautiful humans 
who are on the path to healing their eating disorders. And guess what? You can be part of that group. When you join the community, you'll have access to live and pre-recorded workshops, group coaching, yoga classes, nourish and learn sessions, meditation and journaling sessions, peer support, and more. You'll also gain a community of friends and peers to connect with and encourage you along the way. So head on over to show notes now and sign up for the waiting list. Remember that doors open on September 20th. So sign up before doors close. Myself and 80 other members of this community can't wait to welcome you inside our little home on the internet. All right, so I'll catch you later. Now back to our planned content. Yes. So the diet binge cycle is basically restriction and binging. I like to think of it as a pendulum swing. So any time that you swing or you pull the pendulum to the restriction side, there's going to have to be an equal and opposite reaction, which is the binge side. And what we don't realize is that restriction can be mental or physical. Now with physical, physical restriction is not eating enough food. So you're physically restricting what you're eating. Mental restriction is you're not eating what you actually want. Both are seen the same in your body. So even though you're eating enough and you're like, oh, I'm eating balanced. I'm eating, I'm eating enough food. My fitness pal, ex-human told me that I need to eat this much and I'm eating it. It's great, but you're not eating what you want. So you're not allowing yourself to have the cookies. You're not allowing yourself to have the sandwich. You're not allowing yourself to have the foods that you love. The pendulum is still going to swing and you're going to experience either a really big overeating session, a binge session, because again, that pendulum does have to swing. And so again, every time after the overeating session, binge session happens, or what you deemed as I did something bad, or I gave in to make yourself feel better, you automatically pull it back to the restriction side. Mm. You automatically eat less, you do something to make up for it, to compensate for it. And again, you're pulling it back. So it's got to swing again. And that's what keeps the pendulum going. It's when we allow the pendulum to swing and let it go. Don't pull it back to the restriction side that it can go into the center of balance. And so that's kind of how it works. Mm, I think that's so helpful. So what you're saying to be able to kind of wrangle in this pendulum pattern, you don't want to be making up for it the next day or starting that diet over the next day. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I think another thing where it gets really great is that some days in recovery, you're going to make up for it and that's okay. That's a normal reaction. But every time you do make up for it, it's learning that, oh, this is what happens when I make up for it or when I try to make up for it. And I think that it's important that the degree that you pull the restriction matters too. So it's like, if you're going to pull it a little bit by just like skipping breakfast or doing something like that. You're going to pull it a little bit. So it's going to have a little reaction, if that makes sense. Yes, I see what you're saying. Depending on the amount of restriction will kind of indicate the severity of the binge. Yes, exactly. Typically. Mm, mm -hmm. So interesting. Okay, so I know that there's so many triggers that can happen to trigger a binge. One is that you know, physical or mental restriction, which by the way, I love that definition of mental restriction. 
And I remember when that really clicked for me in my recovery, that was when everything changed. Like when I started eating for satisfaction and pleasure and grabbing the things I liked, that was a huge part of getting this binge eating back to a more balanced place. Yeah. And mental restriction is the one we don't want to mess with. It's the scarier of the two in a way because of health, right? Like cookie, mm-hmm. I can't just eat cookies. I can't not balance my plate. You know, it's like, there's a lot of morality at play there too. So I think that, you know, restriction, mental and physical is more complex than it looks than just mm-hmm. eating what you want and eating enough. Mm. Or there's more layers underneath of each. Wow. I'm like, so I'm so intrigued by what you're saying there. How would you suggest somebody were to start healing from mental restriction? Okay. Now I will say first and foremost, this is not advice that you should, whoever's listening to go do right now, because again, your situation may be different, but from mental restriction. So if you are physically eating enough and enough looks different for everyone, I will say I would definitely, you know, have a professional, make sure you are eating enough if you are in eating disorder recovery. But if you were stuck on the mental hangups of not allowing yourself to eat what you actually want, it's typically because there are food rules and scarcity mixed mm-hmm. together in mm-hmm. there. And scarcity means that I can only have two. I can have the cookie, so I'm not physically restricting, but I can only have two. And that's the mental restriction of how much you can have. And so that tends to backfire because I don't know if anyone's experienced the walk of shame where you grab three cookies, you sit down, you have it, but then you're like, oh, I want more. So then you go back, you have three more cookies and then you're like, oh, I want more. And it's like this constant walk of, gosh, I feel so guilty. Why am I wanting more? And you start questioning yourself, your body. And so someone told me the other day, they're like, oh, I followed your cookie method. And I was like, what is my cookie method? (laughs) But maybe I should start calling it that. And it's so building abundance means giving yourself permission to have as much as you want. Mm -hmm. And that's breaking through that mental restriction of you're only allowed to have a certain amount. And it's allowing yourself to fill up your plate with numerous cookies, just pile it up and telling yourself, I can have as much as I want of these. They're not going away. If I run out of the box, I can go to the grocery store, grab another one. And of course there's financial privilege in that. So I do want to acknowledge that, but it's giving yourself that unconditional permission. And again, I would start with one food. I wouldn't go ham and have all these foods in your house because that can be a little overwhelming, but it's starting with this one thing and building trust with yourself that habituation will happen, which is repeat exposure to a certain food. It will decrease the amount it takes to satisfy you. Because if you imagine yourself eating chocolate cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks straight, at the end of the two weeks, you're like, okay, give me like a steak, a baked potatoes, broccoli. I can't (laughs) look at cake again. And that's kind of the method of abundance. It's giving yourself permission to know that this food's not going anywhere. You do not need to make up for it later. Like if you have a few and you're like, oh, I think I'm good. But then you think to yourself, but I still want more because... 
what if tonight's my only night to have them? Your mind will go down that rabbit hole, but saying, but wait, no, no, no. You can still have more in the morning. You can have more in an hour. Like they're not going anywhere. You can fill this need whenever you want. Cause again, that's a food role that you can't have cookies for breakfast. So it's also again, looking into those, but that's my idea of abundance is, you know, give yourself unconditional permission and build that trust with one food at a time and go from there. I am absolutely loving how you articulated this abundance mindset cookie method they're using that because that was my lived experience like when you are in this place of extreme restriction I just remember going to a lot of pasta parties on the swim team in high school or like buffet situations or picnics where you get your plate and you're giving these tiny little portions for yourself and then there's that complete guilt and shame of like going up, getting more, you feel the rules being broken. You feel like you're in conflict with yourself. You're fighting yourself, that whole experience. And so what I learned in recovery was scoop as much food as you want on that plate and true control, as they say, you know, people think control comes from restriction. That's totally wrong. It's being able to be around an abundance of food and honor your hunger, honor your needs and not feel like this overwhelming emotional pull towards eating it because you've put it on this pedestal, right? Like food is always available. It's always going to be there. You can always go back to it. So that was just something I really connected with that you shared because it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I love how you mentioned like pasta parties and just trying to put a little amount on there. Cause I mean, that's so relatable, but that's the reason why we got into this mess in the first place by trying to eat the smallest amount possible. And, you know, you can trust your body and it's knowing that you can, and that's where a full and meaningful life comes from. I can picture people listening to this and wanting to try the cookie method, say it's Oreos, right? Say they get a box of Oreos and they're like, I'm going to allow myself to have as many Oreos as I want. I can picture so many people saying, then I'll never stop. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to eat all day. What then, Michaela? What then? And like, I'm curious how you handle those comments because people are so scared when they give themselves unconditional permission. And I was wondering if you could kind of address that. Yes. Oh, I love them. And you know what? That fear comes from a false belief because somewhere in your past, you have evidence that you can't trust yourself with a large amount of food. And that's where that fear is driven from is that, see, I can't trust myself because this happened when I was 10 and there was a whole cake in front of me and I ate the whole thing and it was terrible and it was awful. Well, when we look at it, that experience, if you can go back into your memory and see what experience you're referring to when you're like, what if I don't stop? Well, why do you believe you don't stop? And if you take that experience and you realize that nine times out of 10, that experience happened because you restricted sugar in the first place. You restricted cookies in the first place because we come out of the womb being intuitive eaters. We are taught to not trust ourselves around food. But like we're taught, we can't trust ourselves. We can reteach ourselves that we can trust ourselves. And that's the thing is that this is ripping off the band-aid of getting yourself to trust yourself 
And that's going to come with a dose of fear. That's going to come with a dose of what if I can't stop? But if you pull back to that memory of why you thought you couldn't stop or what planted that belief in there, and you look at why it happened, like were you restricting sugar before that happened? Were you told at a young age you weren't allowed to have sweets? Was it every time you went over to a friend's house? What was it? Was it this preconceived idea of I can only have three cookies your whole life? Mm. And have you ever tried this? If you haven't, it's worth a try. Mm. I kind of say that too. It's worth a try. But also I would say, what is that inaccurate false belief that you have about cookies? Where did it come from? Because that's your evidence of, oh, it's inaccurate because I was restricting. And what am I doing now? Right? Are you still overeating slash binging cookies? Well, what's the harm in trying to create abundance around them if you're already doing it anyway? Mm-hmm. There's a few different methods you can go about it, but at the end of the day, by fearing the cookies, you're giving the control to the cookies and they're always going to have the control. Mm-hmm. So the only way to take back the control is by allowing them, stop giving them this halo or more so like the double horns, because that's the only reason why they have so much control. I love yeah. that. So helpful to hear because it's so true. Well, when things are, feel scarce to us, they're suddenly more valuable. I mean, that's how the market works too, right? So it's like supply and demand in your head. If there's a very limited supply of cookies, it's going to be so much more valuable to you to experience that. Oh my gosh, I could go down like all these metaphors that I'm pulling out of my head right now, but want it to always be available and remember that a cookie is only a cookie. Yep. At the end of the day. (laughs) Very cool. Okay. So What does this abundance mindset look like in everyday life and how might someone be able to practice it? We've kind of touched on it already, but like, how would you encourage someone to take steps towards this? I would say kind of just what I said about the cookies, pick a food, pick one. It doesn't have to be as scary as cookies, but it can be something that, you know, like if you have a food rule about bananas, because I know bananas have been on a fear food list many times before, you know, give yourself abundance of bananas and see what happens. Start there, start with one food. If you want to go for the cookies, go for the cookies. But I will say, don't get the cookies that you kind of don't like. Get the cookies Uh that satisfy you. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about here, but don't get the the healthified cookies or the diet cookies. Yeah, exactly. None of those. We don't want you to have those gross things. (laughs) Franken cookies. Yeah, they take so many to satisfy you because they're not even good. Anyway, whole different discussion for a different day. But I would say pick one thing and start there. Mm. Put it into your life. And I'm talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner, add it in. No matter what, think about adding, not subtracting. Don't take anything away, just add them in. Mm. And practice that mindset shift of abundance of, I can have as many of these as I want. And as you go with every day, Yes, you may find yourself eating more and more, but there's going to be a point and you're not going to notice it until after it happens that you're like, I mean, they're great and all, but I want something else. And that's your moment of, oh, wow, cookies, these don't have power over me or, you know, I can have these whenever I want. Why am I trying to eat them? Like there's going to be a realization or a light bulb aha moment that happens, but I will say it takes a different amount of time for everyone. 
So don't get down on yourself about, oh, it's been a week. Why isn't this happening? It takes months sometimes. Mm-hmm. So give yourself grace, compassion, but pick a food and start there. So what about the people who are afraid of gaining weight? I think that's really the yeah the crux or the preventative piece of this puzzle is people are preventing themselves from tapping into this abundance mindset because they're afraid of gaining weight or changing their body. And how would you go about encouraging someone to move through that fear? Oh, that is a great question. And, you know, fear of waking, that's the root of it all, right? And it's so much more complex than we give it credit for. I mean, in all cases, this is not true, but we wouldn't care about what we ate if we didn't care about how our body looked. And Mm. that's the root of, you're never going to be at peace with food if you do not explore your fear of waking. Because waking, every life event is going to be there. It's going to be, well, if I have kids, right? My body is going to change. And women, as we age, biologically, we gain weight. It's protective. And so I think that you have to explore your fear of waking and how to explore it. I would definitely say if you have a huge fear of waking, find a professional, a therapist, somebody that you can dig into this with because it takes more than just like thinking about it. You really have to understand what are the barriers that are in the way of you being okay with your body changing. The three main ones that I find are health, other people's opinions, or discomfort. Those are the main three that I see in my clients and you know people that I work with. And so it's really uncovering, it's like an onion, you peel back the layers, it's uncovering, okay, why do I fear waking? What is the story I'm telling myself? Really understand the core beliefs around that and asking yourself, is this the way I want to live my life? Is living like this in line with my values? Because if you look back at your past and you realize I've never been happy with my body, no matter what weight I've been, that shows you that no matter what happens to your body, are you ever going to be happy? Hmm. And so that's another piece of, if you're always chasing a different body and is that in line with your values and is that how you want to live your life? And if no, that's your door open to, okay, I need to explore this more. Why am I so scared? And how do I want to live my life? And that's kind of like your door opener. I mean, we can go more into detail. <laughs> that could be a whole but... different podcast, but yes. I'm glad you're able to tap into that because I know if we're talking about embracing foods with abundance, everyone's biggest fear comes up almost immediately, right? Because that seems to be the crux of many eating disorders. 100%. And, you know, I will say I do want to acknowledge my privilege here. I do have body privilege, which means if you are in a larger body, it can be harder to do this work because of weight stigma, right? Going to the doctors, airplane seats, fitting into booths. And so I do want to acknowledge that and say that, you know, it is hard, like overcoming your fear of waking is hard, especially in a larger body where society does discriminate against you, but it is also hard in a smaller body. It doesn't make being in a smaller body easy to do the work. So I do want to mention that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for mentioning that. I think that's really important to acknowledge. 
Yeah, of course. Well, this has been such a eye-opening conversation. Wow. I quickly wanted to ask any final words of wisdom or advice you'd like to leave the listeners with today. Oh, I'm (laughs) going into my brain bank of (laughs) what is something that I wanted to hear that I needed to hear whenever I was kind of in the crux of it all. One thing that I do want to say is that your journey is going to look different from everyone else's that is recovering. So when you get on social media, try not to compare yourself to others. Easier said than done, but your journey is significant in its own way. And just be where you are today. It takes time. Show yourself compassion and it's going to be okay. So that's my that's my final words. Thank you for that. I love those words of wisdom. It's such a helpful reminder. And how can everyone listening find you online in case they want to work with you or see, learn more about you? Of course. So website is currently under construction, but you can find me on Instagram at food.peace.nutritionist. And that's where you can send me an email. You can click the link in my bio or just follow me and send me a DM. Great. Awesome, Michaela. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for having me and you too. Thank you. 